Father, we just love you this morning, and we thank you for this time, God, that we can come and, and just share in these songs, and, and God, just really just be in your presence. God, that's why we're here this morning. We're here to meet with you. We're here to be in your presence, and God, we just pray that as we continue in the service this morning, as your word is spoken, God, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. Move on our hearts this morning, and God, I pray that we wouldn't leave this place unchanged this morning. God, we love you and we thank you for this time together. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Matthew chapter 24. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like Lee. Amen. Did you break it? Try to. Try to. All right. Hey, you got your baby over there, Sarah? She's over. Where's that baby at? Hold that baby up like Lion King. <laughs> you can do it. Don't let Mark do it. It might not be good. Oh, there you go. So what's up with that? Just giving some space for you. So um, after the service, we're going to love on Sarah and uh, uh, Philip with a little... Uh, card baby shower and y'all bless them if you didn't get a card don't worry about it cash works just fine <laughs> checks work too so if you got a four-party post-dated check let it fly It'd be all right okay Matthew chapter 24 didn't happen yesterday did it we're still here we're still here I must admit yesterday uh, I was in my backyard, and that sun went behind a pretty thick cloud, and I was kind of preoccupied, and all of a sudden, it was shady everywhere, and I went, <laughs> here we go, but it didn't happen yesterday. All right, all right. Matthew chapter 24, so today, we pick up verse 29. We ended with great anguish, the gathering of vultures of verse 28. One of the signs of the coming of Jesus is there's going to be lots of death, lots of death. There's going to be a gathering of vultures. And it says in verse 29, Jesus said here, listen to this, immediately after the anguish of those days, the word immediately, there's time involved. There's timing of God. Now, I think we need to understand that even in the worst of times, even in the great tribulation, even in the description that Jesus makes about how life will be on the earth, it is the worst it's ever been. Now think about that. The worst it's ever been. The Black Plague. The worst it's ever been. World War I, World War II. The worst it's ever been, there's going to come a time that the world is going to experience pain that it's the worst it's ever been. And the word immediately to me surrounds us with a great deal of grace. There is the immediate response of our Father after the anguish of those days, and that is the coming of the Lord. So... God is in control. It, it, it will get very, very painful in life before Jesus returns. 
God is in control. There's never a time that God's not in control of things. It may look like God is not in control. And today, when we think about all the suffering that's going on around the world, we say, well, where is God in all this? We have to keep in mind God is in control. God's timing is always right. God's timing is always perfect. God can be trusted. God's ways are always best. So when that tribulation is going on, God's people need to learn to wait on him. Now, today we have sang about what we'll have in heaven. We've sung about what paradise is like. We have sung about how wonderful it's going to be when eternity is fulfilled in us. Revelation talks about there's no more pain, there's no more hurt, there's no more tears. We have to look forward to a place that is wonderful. No more pain, no more anguish. And God is going to respond immediately after the anguish of those days. The difficult thing is when the anguish of those days are going on, we're not quite sure how long they're going to go on. We're not quite sure how it's going to happen. Now, if it is indeed a seven-year tribulation, we have that. But, but we have a difficult time understanding how much worse times are. Perhaps it's going to be a gradual time, and perhaps it's much like frog in water. You turn that oven on or that boiler on, a burner on, and that frog's in that water, and he adjusts until he's boiled to death. And if you'll think about sin being rampant everywhere that you just talked about, I mean, sin growing rampant has been a gradual thing. And, and, and folks have been around for a while. They remember when that kind of sin was hidden. That kind of sin wasn't exposed. That kind of sin wasn't public. And now it appears that everything is in the open. There is no thought about it. It doesn't matter. Live any way you want to. And it's all going to be okay. And, 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 but we don't know that that is what the level of anguish that Jesus is talking about. And so it's a very difficult thing. And so when you don't see, can keep on believing. When you don't understand, keep on trusting. Keep on focusing on the Lord. And remember, Jesus said, immediately after the anguish of those days, he's going to reckon all things. It says in verse 29, the sun will be darkened. The moon will give no light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken after those days of anguish. Now, what is this talking about? How do we apply this verse of Scripture? The sun, the moon, and the stars change. They're not like they were. Things on the world are different. When we look up into the heavens, there's a difference that happens, and... The heavens are shaken. Now, is it some great eclipse that would darken the sun, that would force the moon to give no light? Is it a great volcanic eruption? Many volcanic eruptions? Uh, if you just read what scientists believe is going to happen in North America if Yellowstone blows... I mean, a large portion of our country won't see the sun for months if they survive at all. 
Is that what it's referring to? Is it a great fire that's worldwide? That would definitely darken out the moon and the sun. Maybe planet X finally comes. Planet X was supposed to come yesterday, according to Mr. Mead. Didn't happen. I kept on looking for planet X. Planet X is a, a planet that they haven't found yet. And this planet is on a real long orbit, real narrow orbit, not like Mars and those others that swoop around in a large deal that we can see, but it's on a real narrow oval type orbit and it's way out there somewhere and when it comes by it's going to disturb all the gravity flow of our world and other planets like in our in our little system here and everything is going to change and it's going to bring with it so much debris that that lots of things are just going to penetrate the world and lots of explosions and lots of meteorites but planet x didn't show up yesterday and so we're okay for today perhaps Maybe that's it. I don't know. Maybe it's just that God just moves in our universe. He can do whatever he wants to do. He created this. He can breathe into it. He can push it. He can just move all the cosmic things, all the heavenly bodies. But Jesus said the sun's not going to shine like it did. The moon's not going to give any light. The stars are going to fall from the sky. Regardless, we see that before Jesus returns, there's going to be real crazy happenings in the sky. And then in verse 30, And when at last the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, then at last the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. The sign. Some believe this sign will be just like his first coming, and it will be a star that points to this. Some believe that it will be the sign of the cross. Matter of fact, if you look at most of the theologians in the 1800s and 1700s about this verse of Scripture, they all say it's going to be the cross. Somehow or another, the cross is just going to shine up in the sky somehow or another. Some believe it will be God's glory shining. Josephus writes that after Jesus ascended into heaven on the Mount of Olives, there was the Shekinah glory of God that was there. There was a visible, visible light that shone on the Mount of Olives for a few days after Jesus ascended. Some believe the sign will be Jesus himself. But there's going to be a great sign that the Son of Man is coming. It's going to be something everyone can see. It says, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. Oh my. Deep mourning. Great sorrow among people on the earth. Now, first of all, everyone is going to see him coming. The deep mourning comes from those that have rejected him. The deep mourning comes from those who are in unbelief. The deep mourning is going to come from all those people in the world of all the tribes. So in every tongue, in every language, in every, every race of people in the world, there are going to be many and most who are alive when Jesus returns are going to mourn his coming because there's going to be great sorrow in their life because they're going to realize that it's too late. 
Boy, that's hard to bear, isn't it? That's hard to deal with. Great mourning. In 1 John 2.28, the Word talks about those who are backslidden when Jesus returns. It says, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ, so that when He returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from Him in shame. Oh, can you imagine the shame that will come from those who are disobedient to Him when He returns? The shame from those who have not been obedient to what God has called them to, for those who have not followed through to what God has asked them to do. I, I think about the shame of, of someone that didn't share Jesus with his brother or his sister, his uncle, his aunt, his neighbor, his co-worker, his best friend. Can you imagine the shame that is going to happen when Jesus returns and backslidden people are looking at their life and saying, look how I've wasted my life. And it's too late now because he has appeared. So there's two great emotions that are of negative fashion that are going to impact people when Jesus actually appears. And it's sorrow for themselves and it's shame for their lack of obedience. Man, if, if you're not ready today, please, I plead with you. Oh my, you are literally gambling with your eternity. Gambling. Gambling, hoping it's not real. Gambling, hoping that you have time. Gambling, hoping against all hope that somehow or another, what we're reading today is not true. That's why there's no accountability to it. That's why there's no heeding it. That's why there's no serious consideration of what Jesus had to say. Let me just point back to, to the verses 1 and 2 in this chapter. The temple is not there. When Jesus said these words, the temple was there. When Jesus said these words that the temple would be destroyed, it was much like someone going to our capital and saying, do you see all these buildings? Do you see the capital? I'm here to tell you, this capital building will be completely destroyed. We would say, there's no way that... How many bombs are you going to need to blow that up? What is it going to cost to, to blow that up? You would say, there's no way anyone is going to be able to come here and take down that building. But look, the temple's not there today. It was completely destroyed. And it's still not there. It is not there. You can go there. You can see where it once stood. There's no sign of it today. The words of Jesus are true. You can prove that these words were spoken long before it happened. We know that Jesus died in the 30 A.D.s. It was taken down in 70 A.D. History clearly says that. If CNN would have been around, it would be documented by film. But of course it wasn't. It's documented by the historians of the day. And there's no question that Jesus' prophecy came true to the temple. If it came true in that regard, you've got to believe the rest of this. Don't gamble with your eternity. Don't gamble with lollygag into the things of God. Do what he says to do. Follow through with what he has instructed. What we understand about these scriptures is that 
There is a deadline to the work of the Lord. And you need to be faithful today. You can't wait. You can't put things off. That's what Jesus is sharing with us. When Jesus returns, will you mourn? Will you have shame? Or will you rejoice? Most will mourn. Most will have shame. A fewer number will rejoice at the coming of the Lord. I told you so. Here he is. Eternal life has begun. Then we move on to verse 31. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. A trumpet is always involved in the coming of Jesus. So there's going to be some great trumpet sound from heaven. Everyone is going to be able to hear it. I like those big horns at football games, those big air horns. When someone scores a touchdown, I mean, everybody can hear that thing, right? Man, when Jesus returns, there is going to be a huge trumpet blast. It's going to catch our attention. It's going to say, pay attention, watch out, look up in the scars, look what's happening. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast, of trumpet, and it says, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world from the farthest ends of the earth in heaven. And there's going to be a gathering. There's going to be a gathering of all the believers. There's going to be a gathering of the redeemed. There's going to be a gathering of the saved. They're going to be brought together. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. Verse 32, when its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. And so what Jesus is explaining here is like a fig tree. When that fig tree blooms, you can know summer is right here. You can count on it. We have the mesquite tree. That's our fig tree. When the mesquite tree puts on green leaves, you can plant your garden. Until the mesquite tree puts on its green leaves, don't plant your garden. Because that mesquite tree knows there's another frost coming. I don't know how they know that, but they know that. And I, I can't remember maybe one or two times in my life that a mesquite tree was full. And that mesquite tree just wasn't as bright as the other mesquite trees. He didn't understand. And so Jesus says, learn the lesson from the fig tree. Just like the fig tree is a sign... What Jesus is telling us are signs of his coming. I tell you, I tell you, he says in verse 34, this generation will not pass the scene until all things take place. I've heard this more than once. Someone says, aha, a mistake. Jesus said he can't be trusted because Jesus said this generation will not pass. And here it is. It's nearly been 2,000 years since he said this word, that generation did pass away and these things didn't happen. But Jesus says, this generation, which generation? The one that's alive when he comes. To me, not, I mean, I'm simple. I just look at it. And he said, the generation that's here will see all these things be unfilled, fulfilled before them. And it says in verse 35, heaven and earth will disappear but my words will never disappear. Man, all the buildings, all the philosophies, all the ideas, 
All the great ideas of man will disappear. But one thing that will not disappear is the truth of God about Jesus. It's going to last forever. There's a survival of his word. Verse 36 applies for our day. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself know. Now, how can that be being the Trinity? How can he not know? I don't know, but he doesn't know. How do I know that? Because Jesus says, even the angels in heaven or the Son himself will not know. Somehow or another, that's compartmentalized. Only the Father knows. And so why in the world do people spend needless energy trying to find the exact day of his coming? Jesus never said, find the exact day of his coming. He said, look for the signs of the times that are part of his coming. He says, be ready for my coming. Be faithful till my coming. Do not be, lo do, 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 do not be lollygagging out there when I can return. But no one knows the time of the coming of the Lord. Verse 37. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings. Right up to the time of Noah entered the boat. 39 says, people didn't realize that what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So what will life be like before the Son of Man comes? What would it be like right up to the point that he comes? Everybody's going to be doing their thing. They're not concerned with judgment. They're not concerned with the end of things. They're not going to be concerned with the return of Jesus. They're going to be having parties. They're going to be having banquets. They're going to be having weddings right up to the time of his return. Now, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Only Noah built the boat. If you'd have known, you'd have built a boat with him, right? I mean, if you're out there in the desert and you see one old boy building a boat, and I say, why are you building that boat, Noah? He said, because the world's going to end, there's going to be a flood, I think I'm at least going to build me a canoe, just in case. Right? I mean, if, if there's even a possibility the world's going to be flooded, I, I'm at least going to get a raft of some kind put together. I'm at least going to get some big barrels together, aren't you? I mean, if I really do think that's really a possibility, I'm going to prepare for that. Only one boat. And when it started raining, it was too late. To put a boat together. God told Noah, build a boat, get all the animals, tell them how big it was supposed to be. He built his ark. No one else was prepared. Everybody else thought Noah was crazy. That's the way it's going to be. You know, what I'm talking about today is really foolishness, isn't it? It's really stupid. You can't believe you people believe those things. 
If you tell anybody what we talked about today out there, if they're honest with you, they're going to say, isn't that a bunch of hogwash? Isn't that foolish that you would waste your time on a Sunday morning hearing this kind of nonsense? I mean, you talk to the, to the average person out there in the world and you say, are you concerned with the end times? Oh, I don't know. You know, that, that's, you know, other people don't talk about that. Why do you people talk about that? I mean, come on. It's, it's archaic. It's not appropriate. It's just a book. It's just words. I mean, you, you've got to be really, 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 in a, uh, really simple to believe in that kind of stuff. Well... That's exactly the way it was in Noah's day. And so what's it going to be like before Jesus returns? Everybody's going to be doing their own thing without any regard for eternal things. That's the way it's going to be. That's the way it is now. That's the way it is by the majority. That's the way it is by most people today. They don't even care about this. Verse 40 says, Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Now, these are two rapture verses. People look at this and say, ha-ha, the rapture. People are going to be snatched away. This is the snatching away that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about. Now, that's a possibility. But let me give you another possibility. Maybe it's the gathering that's already been mentioned by Jesus. Maybe he's gathering the chosen, the elect, the saved, the believers. And so verses 40 and 41 could be seen as the gathering as much as the rapture. And you have to choose what you think that is. But nevertheless, there is a gathering because Jesus has said that. And so it says to us in verses 40 and 41, it supports what the day of Noah is like. People are going to be working, doing their own thing, totally unexpecting any great thing. And one's gone. One's taken away from the field. One's taken away from the grinding mill. Verse 42, the purpose of what Jesus is saying. So, you must keep watch. For you don't know what day our Lord is coming. We must keep watch because we don't know what day our Lord is coming. We don't know. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be next month. It could be next year. It could be before we, it could be before we ever realize. It just pops and it happens. Our responsibility is to be ready, keep watch, keep alert, stay focused. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. I thought about that yesterday, people talking about this is the end or Planet X is going to show up or some great disturbance is going to happen and our world will completely be upside down and the Lord is going to return and fix all that. There was more people expecting it yesterday than any time before in the last week, so I reckon it wasn't yesterday. 
Because it's a time where it's least expected. So take all those pronosticators out there, all the people that say they know the time, they know the hour, this is how it's going to happen, this is what's going to take place, and you can write that off your calendar. If they've got a following at all, I don't reckon that's going to be the date. That's the way I look at that. And then 45 and the rest of this chapter, listen to this. A little story, a little teaching lesson to motivate us, to warn us, to inspire us, to instruct us. A faithful, sensible servant. A faithful, sensible servant. Don't we want to be found faithful and sensible? Is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. So if a faithful, sensible servant is being faithful and sensible in serving when the master is away, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be around for a while. He won't be back for a while. And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. Charlie Pride said, uh, the, the, the snakes will, what, no, I forget how he says, leave Charlie Pride around. I don't know where that came from. The snakes will play when the sun goes down. How does that work? The master will return unannounced and unexpected. So the faithful and sensible servant works. He doesn't know when the master's going to return home, but he works and he serves and he's faithful and he's responsible to what he's assigned to. So if the master returns when least expected, he is ready. The evil one thinks, Oh, we got time. We can live it up. We can party it up. We can do our own thing. We don't need to be concerned with all that. At the right time, the right moment, we'll figure all this out, and we'll get everything squared away before the master returns. They're going to miss. They're going to miss. The master returned unannounced and unexpected. And listen to this for warning. This is a warning to us. This is telling us we need to be the faithful, sensible servants. And he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In fact, that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They weren't ready. They weren't ready because they didn't believe. They weren't ready because they weren't his children. They weren't ready for the master to return. They were living for themselves. They were doing their own assignments. And, and they had no regard to judgment to come. Are you ready? Are you ready today? 
Are you faithful and sensible today? Be alert. Be watching. Lord, I pray you'll speak to us. I pray you'll show us. Help us to take seriously your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.